Katie Kempner, and welcome to Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women who are leading busy and successful lives. And today, it is my absolute pleasure to be talking with Ty Randolph, EVP General Manager at Laugh Out Loud. Ty, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be on today. Thank you for joining me. I was trying to think where would be the best place to start because there's so many things to talk about with you. And, you know, <laughs> I guess, I guess really I'd say, you know, it's an understatement to say it's an unprecedented time, but obviously it really is. And I think maybe if we start by talking a little bit about Laugh Out Loud and your role with them, then we can talk about everything else from there. Absolutely. So um, Laugh Out Loud is a comedy brand and um, diversified um, comedic entertainment company that was uh, founded by Kevin Hart. And it really is his vision for the future of comedy. Um, you know, we were, were founded, uh, we're a mission driven company. Um, and you know, our, our reason for being is, as he states so eloquently is to keep the world laughing together. And, you know, our strategy for doing so is by programming, um, you know, what we call comedy in color anywhere, um, um, at any time our audience wants or needs to laugh. And so, that's really led to the the sort of you know expansion of this company from you know what was um, an OTT platform, um, uh, an in a streaming sort of single point streaming video service to the the multi division company that it is today, which includes Laugh Out Loud Studios, which is our full service, um, you know, uh, production facility, and where we develop you know really amazing content for our own network and for third party partners. Um, like Quibi and NBC. Um, we have uh, a division called LOL Audio, where we have um, a, a, a radio channel, LOL Radio on Sirius XM, um, and a series of podcasts with them. We have um, LOL X, which is our experiential division. Um, and, you know, we started off the top of the year prior to COVID, partnering with Nick Cannon and, and the Viacom team on producing the, the Wild and Out tour. Um, and then we have LOL Network, which is really at the center of what we do. And it's how all of our touch points, um, where in aggregate we reach, um, you know, 100 million consumers worldwide through platforms like YouTube and Pluto and Snapchat, um, you know, soon Peacock on NBC. So, you know, we're coming up on our three year anniversary and, you know, still following that mission to keep the world laughing, even at times like this when there's not much to laugh about. It seems it's most important to be able to have a laugh right now, right? Yeah, if you can find the levity in any of this, you know, yes, it's I think, um, you know, we like like many companies and brands are, are trying to figure out, you know, how to be of service to our audiences um, at this moment. And, you know, for us, there have been moments of, of real introspection. And, you know, I, on Juneteenth, we, we took a more, um, you know, sort of serious note, um, you know, in communicating with our community, we, you know, we, we did a video and tribute um, to, you know, so many of, um, you know, the, the sort of like, you know, bright young women and men who, um, you know, lost their lives at the, the hands of police brutality. Um, you know, and then the, the following week we were talking and saying, you know, we, we needed to really focus our attention on these matters through programming that we have. Um, we do a show on, on Pluto with, D.L. Hughley, who always, you know, really cuts to the core of whatever's happening from a sociopolitical perspective at the time. Um, but then we're also, you know, from home, do it. We're doing a show that um, 
called uh, one of our sort of most popular shows on the network called Cold as Balls, where Kevin um, you know, interviews athletes and ice baths normally. So we figured out a quarantine edition of that. And so, um, you know, it's cold call. So he's, you know, we had to replace the chills from the tub. Um, you know, with the chill of these, you know, sort of surprise calls from athletes, and he never knows who's going to be on the other end. So that's really, you know, we balance that by just providing some good hearted laughs when, you know, I, I think it's so important for our mental health and, you know, sort of emotional well-being that we find time to, um, you know, to just sort of like, you know, lean back some and, and, and just, um, you know, find whatever silver linings we can. There must be a big response. You must feel a big responsibility right now to have such a uh, an impressive platform to talk from during this Black Lives Matter movement, and not just during this movement, but now I would say it's amplified, and hopefully more people are ready to hear things that they should have heard all along. Yeah, I, you know, we talk a lot about how, you know, on one hand we were really founded for this work, right? Like our, our, our whole programming strategy is one of diversity. Our, um, our mission, right. To keep the world laughing together is one of unity. And we're a company owned by, um, you know, uh, an entertainer who is black. We have black executives leading our company. Um, we have a, a diverse group of comedians from all over the globe, right. Of all, you know, sorts of ethnicities, you know, gender backgrounds, um, you know, who, who I just identify across the spectrum in, in terms of their makeup. And so we really do feel like universal is laughter. Comedy can be culturally nuanced, but, but laughter is really universal. And so, um, you know, for us, as this moment came about, we feel a responsibility to leverage our platform, but we also feel that there is an authenticity with our audience because we've been doing this work. Um, you know, I think that the moment calls for something different. And I think what we really focused on, you know, we really haven't changed our programming or our communication because it's always really been, um, you know, with a very inclusive and, and, and diverse by design nature. I think where we've really tried to amp up our efforts is really thinking, talking to our partners and reaching out to all the wonderful companies, whether it's on the distribution side or the brand partnership side, um, and, and, and really, you know, helping to guide them along and, and to be a voice for some of those, um, you know, topics where we feel like we can really influence decision making. Like one of the conversations we're having with a lot of our partners are around, you know, um, supporting black executive talent um, and 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 providing opportunities for um, from the internship level to the boardroom. That's that's one of the things that we've really been championing across the board. So we're, we're, we're I, I love the attention that's that's being placed um on the the Black Lives Matter movement, on Black lives, on Black people. And, you know, my hope is just that this isn't a fleeting moment and that this marks a real turning point in our trajectory as a country um, and and as corporations where, you know, this is sort of the point of no return. We won't return back to, you know, those those same blind spots, you know, collectively um, and corporately that, that, you know, so, so, so much of the industry shared prior to this. I think so many, so many of us hope, and you know, it's a, it's very delicate. I, I am a, I have a PR firm, and I was working with one of um, my clients who wanted to put out a statement, like a lot of companies are doing, but talking about the actual changes that they're that they are putting in place, which ironically they had started to do prior even to um, 
Black Lives Matter movement beginning to get this new focus of attention. And I wrote something and I remember their diversity expert who is a really, really smart black woman wrote back, but you know, you're saying that, but you're saying that as a perspective of a white woman. And that's, and that's true. Mm. I mean, unfortunate, not unfortunate. Yeah. That is my perspective because I am a white woman, but I am a, a person who sees the change that needs to happen. And I'm, I'm curious what you think when you see all these companies very well intentioned, but might not be seeing the picture in the, in the right way, just because they they mean to but they don't have the they don't come from the right place how do you think companies are doing overall and i and i guess it's also a two point question in in terms of what can they do to change wow that's a big question i know because, <laughs> well, no no it's it's a good one and it's so relevant right now because i am a firm believer in not letting you know um to not let your quest for perfection or a, a pressure for perfection stand in the way of progress, right? So, because because that can lead to paralysis. So I, 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 I think we all have to concede that we're not all gonna get it right the first time. And, um, and that those who are trying aren't gonna get it right the first time. And so there should be a little bit of grace extended, right? So that on one frame of mind, I think that we have to be be willing to get it wrong. We have to give each other the grace to kind of fail forward, just as we, you know, that's just a common business principle for, for agile organizations. So I think as we navigate our way through these, 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 these newly faced challenges, right? Cause they're not new challenges, but I think where uh, many companies are actually facing them head on for the first time, you know, prepare to be wrong, prepare to be uncomfortable. On the flip side of that, I, it's interesting when I hear often, both personally and professionally, um, you know, my white counterparts say like, well, we, we didn't know what to say, you know, we don't know what your experience is. And it really reminds me of, you know, a principle that W.B. Du Bois talks about in the um, souls of black folks. It's this idea of double consciousness, right? Um, and so, and, and this book is, you know, what, 150 years old or 120 years old now, but the, the whole premise at the time was he was saying that, you know, to be black in America, you have to be endowed with this double consciousness, right? You have to, or this two-ness, you have to know your experience, all your cultural nuances, you know, sort of the interior life of the black community. And in order to survive and to thrive in this country, you also have to know all the interior life of the mainstream or white society. And so, you know, I think in many ways it's it's kind of been a wake up call to me to realize how separated, how divided we have been in our experience that when you get ready to um, sort of address these challenges, you quite honestly, some of these companies and, and more specifically individuals don't have a point of reference. Um, and it's not that it's, oh, I can't understand because I'm not black. I think it's that I have not been forced to understand because, you know, in, in any, the, the going back to the whole W.B. Du Bois principle, it, at the heart of it, it is that the minority needs to understand the majority's perspective in order to survive. The majority has no you know, counter obligation to do the same. And so I think this awakening is literally just um, one of empathy. Like you literally have to be able to consider, right? You have to, proximity is everything, right? Because I think proximity breeds empathy. Here's how you're not gonna get it right. If you don't have black people in your boardroom, 
if you don't have them in your on your executive team, um, you know, if you don't have them represented throughout your organization, you are 100% going to get it wrong because you are communicating from a place of no proximity. I hear a lot of companies saying, "Hey, well, you know, our executives listen to our ERG group." You know, um, it's like that's great. Glad you have an ERG group. But wouldn't it be better if that perspective from a first person was also embedded in the ranks of your executive team and your boardroom and in your HR teams, policymakers, hiring managers throughout? And so until we're willing to change the structure and, and take out excuses like pipeline and, you know, access and we don't know who, until we're willing to just commit to creating more reflective organizations, organizations that reflect the cultural composition, the gender composition, um, sort of the socio-political composition of our country, if we are designing businesses that don't look like the audiences that we're serving, expect to be wrong. Um, if we're making strides to create more reflective organizations and expect not to get it right immediately, and then let's not penalize the folks who are really putting their money where their mouth are for trying. And I think, I mean, you're so right. And and I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, you know, what I, she's black and she was like, you know, what I hate is and she's been very successful. I don't want to be the token black person because I think that's also, you know, these companies, they have to really be, as you say, reflective of society. And I work with a lot of advertising agencies who are now really looking at how, not just who they hire, but definitely that, but also how they cast commercials and, you know, what they're saying and how to be truly, truly, um, reflective of society, the people that, which by the way, also is a great thing because that's who's buying your products or coming to see your shows or, you know, so. 100%. It's actually good for business. It's like, how do you, wouldn't you want to be informed, right? Wouldn't you want to have a first party perspective? Doesn't it give you a leg up in terms of innovation um, and and service and, and what has become for all of us, given the pandemic and all the other factors that are going on globally, an increasingly competitive environment, no matter what um, business we're in. And so, you know, one of the other things I've been saying a lot is don't just think about this investment in any underserved community, um, you know, and, and particularly in this moment in black talent. Don't consider that just an act of good. Right. It's an act of growth for your company. You know, you are are missing out on, especially when you look at all of the the industries, all of the, the segments and categories where black Americans drive so much consumption, um, drive so much general market influence, you know, it's it's really a detriment to your own company, your own bottom line and, and future proofing your business if you don't have, um, you know, that kind of perspective embedded within. And that sort of speaks to another part of your work-life sugarberry, right? Yes, it's so sweet. I always smile when anyone says sugarberry. I think that's what the name was supposed to do. It makes me happy. <laughs> it's a it's a good name. It's a very good name. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, so sugarberry is my new baby. Um, I co-founded the company with actress uh, and producer Tika Sumter, who is um, you might know from Mixed Dish on ABC or, or Sonic, mm-hmm. and um, and she she actually approached me. I guess a little over two years ago, a mutual friend connected us and she, um, you know, had an idea for a business that she hadn't fully formed. And her, the insight was that while she was pregnant, she was looking for resources, for products, for experiences that really spoke to her, 
um, her journey as a black mom or a black mother to be and didn't really find herself reflected in a lot of um, the, the mainstream parenting spaces. There weren't a lot of folks who looked like her. They weren't um, you know, showcasing children who would look like the child that she would bring into the world or speaking to some of the unique um, nuances of, of what black motherhood would, you know, sort of entailed. Additionally, and this was the, the insight that really got me, uh, she said when she did find spaces that were dedicated to, to black motherhood, it was doom and gloom. And it was all about, you know, health disparity. And there was this image of, you know, sort of a struggling mom. And in many of those, you know, th- there were definitely societal and systemic um, challenges that exist and need to be faced. But she said, where is the joy in black motherhood? And, you know, when we got together, I actually came in pretty ready to be pretty critical of what our business model was, because it sounded like something that was digital first and a space that might be kind of crowded. And, um, you know, I, I remember in that first conversation saying, wow, it's hard for me to keep my business hat on because I'd be your first customer as a consumer and as a new mom myself, this resonates so heavily. So we launched Sugarberry um, at the um, beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> so I think two days before we got our shelter in place order. So that was great. Um, and it's really a brown mom's guide to the sweet life. The idea is to bring to market content, um, you know, commerce via consumer products and, you know, community via experiences, whether virtual or in real life, um, that really cast black motherhood as, as something, um, and as an experience to be, um, you know, enjoyed and not a burden to be endured. It was, you know, where's our, where's our goop? Where's our, you know, hello giggles, our poosh. Um, but really though, I think what, uh, we're so excited about in terms of the, the opportunity here is, again, back to the research and looking at the purchasing power that, um, you know, black audiences wield in this country, you know, um, the, the black Americans consumer purchasing power this year will top $1.2 trillion, right? The gatekeepers to that is the, the black consumer mom. Their categories like baby food, um, personal care items for babies and moms, where we over-index significantly, sometimes 3X, right? Like our market composition. And so they're just these white spaces waiting to be filled with brown faces, right? These um, areas where, um, you know, this this audience is completely underserved. And then if you look at Black women as a demographic, we are starting businesses at a faster clip than any other um, segment in this country, we are obtaining advanced degrees at a faster clip than any other segment in this country. So for us, it was both a labor of love, but also a very ripe area for investment. Mm-hmm. So where can we find it? Yes. So um, sugarberry.com, S-U-G-A-B-E-R-R-Y, sugarberry.com. Uh, and we also have a podcast, which we're so excited about, called The Sugar. Um, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, any place you, you get your podcasts. Any place you can find perspectives. Yes. (laughs) Download both. Download both. Two different perspectives, but both very interesting. So you mentioned um, the pandemic, and obviously we can't have a conversation really about anything without talking about, you know, the, the crazy, scary time that's happening in the world right now. I guess I I was going to ask you what it's like leading a company through the time, but I guess I should ask you what it's like leading a company, what it's like launching a brand 
you know, <laughs> how are you doing all of this right now? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, I guess the one benefit is like the days run together. So you don't really know where you are. You're kind of always working. There's no natural um, break. I, here's the thing. I think that and I, I don't know if you found this, but as much pressure has come out of this and, and have to acknowledge the extraordinary pain that so many families find themselves in, whether it's losing loved ones, um, you know, due to, to this, this illness, whether it's, um, you know, losing jobs and income or businesses. I mean, there's just, you know, on one hand, great devastation. And on the other hand, um, you know, there are these, and, and, and even if you look at, you know, the the incidents with with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery that really became, you know, the catalyst for this renewed focus on on black lives. I think that we've probably experienced some of the most tragic moments, right, of our many of our, our lifetimes during during this period, simultaneously having seen um evidence of some of, you know, the, the most hope, right, that we've seen in a long time. Like when I look at, you know, the protests and the marches, the the solidarity, uh, even amongst corporations, right? Um, you know, forget what the cocktail that had to happen to make this possible. It makes me think that, you know, while there's, I think human beings have an unlimited capacity for good and evil. I think we've seen both in, the, in this context. But I also think from a business perspective, we also have just this unlimited capacity to innovate. And so, you know, when you just see all of the the amazing we'll figure it out that have come out of this, you know, companies and entertainment who've gone to remote productions, um, you know, companies that have figured out different ways to create their supply chain, you know, deliver on their supply chain. Folks like us who've launched, you know, like Sugarberry brands that have launched out of this crisis. Um, you know, it just leaves me overall very hopeful and very motivated. You know, I think we have some some big hills to climb, but um, in some ways, you know, it's kind of cautious and with a cautious optimism, it, it's kind of renewed. Um, you know, just just some of my faith in in humanity, and 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 we also the, the last thing I'll say is I don't think anyone, no matter what your perspective is, could argue that we have been um, so reminded about how connected we all are. The the world just became a lot smaller um, in in some in some some scary ways, but also some some really beautiful ways. Right? We we understand that our actions, whatever we put out in the world has an impact and a ripple across the globe. And so um, there there just, just seems to be a certain amount of like renewing of spirit that I think has really kept me going and motivated. Like for Sugarberry, for instance, you know, I felt, we felt we had to do this during the pandemic. It's like, if we're about bringing sweetness and joy, this is actually, it's gone from a nice to have to a utility at this moment. Same with laughter, you know, it's it's not just an escape, like it's critical to, to mental health. So we really feel that the work that we're doing at Laugh Out Loud is just more relevant than ever. So I, I think that's what keeps me fueled and, and going. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is so well put in a, in a lot of ways. This is an extraordinarily painful time for many different reasons, but I am hopeful that we can come out of it, hopefully, hopefully in a, in a better way. And I say that in terms of everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, how about uh, lighting it up and just telling us what's Kevin Hart like? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so funny. People ask me that because I think they think he tells jokes all the time. But when it comes to business, he's pretty serious. <laughs> serious. I mean, he's always funny. You're always going to laugh. But, um, you know, I think people would be surprised by just, you know, what an astute businessman he is. And so. Well, it sounds like your work ethic is pretty incredible too. So I just like to end this by asking you, is there one piece of advice that has helped guide you through your life and your career that you could share with us? Mm. You know, it's changed a couple times, but someone said this to me about motherhood um, and in relation to Sugarberry, but I've actually found that I've been applying this to so many different areas of my life. Um, so we're talking about motherhood and performance anxiety around motherhood. And she's a grandma. And she said, um, there are a whole spectrum of right answers, right? Because I was, I was talking about the concept of getting it right or wrong. And, you know, I think that there are a whole spectrum of, of right answers, whether that's where reconciling people, you know, having different viewpoints on politics or business, or we're thinking about approaches to getting something done, whether it's launching a business or marketing a product. Um, I think if we release ourselves from sort of the binary, it's got to be this or that, and open ourselves up to the spectrum of possibilities, whenever I do that, I find myself more grounded, less intimidated, um, and more hopeful. So, yeah. Well, Ty, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. It was really a pleasure. Katie, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I love this platform that you've developed um, and, and be well. Thank you. You too.